This is episode number 239 of the Well-Fed Women podcast. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hello and welcome back to the show. I am Noelle Tarr. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. I'm a certified personal trainer and I am your host. I'm really excited to have my guest on today, Rachel Mansfield. She's a blogger and influencer and has built an incredible community and following doing what she loves, which is cooking amazing food from what I have perceived. And I follow her on Instagram and I see all the photos and I'm like, oh my gosh, she she makes some amazing food. Um, and so she's made a living doing that, which is really cool. And we're going to dive into that today. And we're going to talk all about blogging and entrepreneurship. And I may poke around a little bit and see if I can get her to talk about writing her new cookbook and a behind the scenes look at that. So let's jump into our bio. Rachel loves to cook, eat, and talk about all things food, wellness, and entrepreneurship. Everything about the food and wellness industry entices her. She has a passion to create delicious and easy recipes that are made with just the good stuff, wholesome and simple ingredients that anyone can enjoy. Her recipes have minimal prep work ingredients and they are for cooks, non-cooks, and anyone who craves something delicious. Rachel does not believe in sacrificing flavor for health and wants everyone to have their gluten-free chocolate cake and eat it too. Rachel's a sucker for a good piece of her paleo chocolate chip banana bread and can likely be found working on her cookbook, Just the Good Stuff, which comes in spring of 2020, or found strolling around Hoboken with her husband, Jordan, and newborn son, Ezra. Rachel, I am so excited to chat more because while we've interacted on Instagram and you just revealed you've listened to the show for a while, uh, a long time, this is our first real life conversation, so to speak. Although sometimes on stories, I feel like we, you can kind of get, um, have a one-sided conversation with people. Um, but it's always nice to make new friends and, and chat about business and the back end of being an entrepreneur in the health world. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's kind of funny because when you were doing the intro, I'm like, oh, I wonder who's on the show today because I <laughs> listen every week. And since Ezra, I'm definitely like, I would say two to three episodes behind um, on each like on my favorite podcast. But I've seriously been listening to Well-Fed Women for quite some time. So it's kind of funny to hear you talking directly to me. And I'm hoping I don't get like the days like listening to what you're saying and forgetting I'm the one who's responding today. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, I feel you. I know exactly what you're talking about because I do. Do you have AirPods by any chance? I do. Okay. So that it's so easy to just like check out when you're listening to podcasts and like passively listen. So I understand what you're saying, but man, AirPods have changed my life. And now that you have a newborn son, I sure I'm sure you understand. That's the only way now that I can get to listen to podcasts is when I'm like in a in a long nursing session or something and I just happen to have my AirPods in and I can I can listen to something or like in the middle of the night, honestly, I'm still in that phase. Uh and I that's when I try to like almost almost kind of check out my mind so that I'm not like forcing myself to stay awake and realize what my situation is. You know, I, it's just kind of like, I need to check out. Um, oh, it's so true. And you're like in the thick of it now. with like a new, no. 
How old is your baby now? Um, he is ten weeks now. Oh my god! You're recording a podcast, okay? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you know what? Spouses are the best because I couldn't do any of this without him. But um, yeah, your and you. We were just talking before this. Now your son is about. I said newborn son in the guest bio, but your um, your son's six months. He's six months on on Friday, and yeah, in two days. So tell me everything about. Let's just jump right in. Tell me everything about your baby boy and how you're adjusting to that as an entrepreneur and working. Because, you know, as a as a work, you are a working mom. I'm a working mom. However, our work life is completely different than what, um, you know, somebody who works outside of the home, what that what that schedule looks like. And, you know, personally, you and I, we had to reschedule because I knew something was kind of off with your son's schedule last week. And that's just how that's how it goes. You know, sometimes it's like, nope, today's a crap day. I'm not going to be able to get anything done. So how are you adjusting to that? How are you able to produce the work that you do while also being a, a mom at home? I mean, honestly, I have a newfound respect for every mom in the world as since becoming a mother. Um, I was actually just talking to um, one of the brands that I partnered with earlier, and she asked me how I was doing. And I said, you know, the first three months, I definitely was running on adrenaline and was like, go, 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 feeling great. Didn't take much of a maternity leave. And then around that three and a half, four month mark, I just felt so like depleted and burnt out and just really, really tired. And I just, I felt like dead almost, you know, Mm -hmm. working, you're running your own. I run my own business. I'm exclusively breastfeeding my son. I don't have employees or like help that work for me. So it's definitely, it's been an adjustment and we do have what I call Ezra care. Um, He has a nanny that comes to help me during the day and that's kind of how I invest dollars in my business in terms of like hiring help is to provide one-on-one help for my, with my son, which has been tremendously helpful. But, you know, working from home has its ups and downs. Yeah, it's great because I'm not in a conference room pumping all day or like every three hours and I'm able to see my son for a few minutes during like each breastfeeding session. But it's also you feel like you don't escape. So my husband gets up and goes to an office every day and he leaves around like 6.30 in the morning and he doesn't get home till like 10 p.m. most days. So he doesn't see Ezra and like he's not really like in the thick of it. But even though I'm in the kitchen, I hear him in his room. I, you know, I don't ever escape. And that really started to add up for me um, around the four month mark. And that's when I kind of took a step back and I said, okay, I'm not feeling my best. What am I going to do? This is not going to be good long term and really try to like re-figure out what I could do to start feeling like myself again and not just being so absorbed in, you know, mustard colored poop and like how (laughs) it's been since Ezra's last eaten. And it's, you know, my mom kindly reminded me, Rach, like you have help for Ezra, like take advantage of that and like get out, like go do something. So Ever since that kind of breaking point I had a few couple months ago, I definitely am starting to feel a lot better um, prioritizing myself a bit more, which I definitely accepted, which has been amazing. What does that look like for you? What does it look like to prior prioritize yourself more and focus on yourself? Because it's it's so hard to do as mothers. But what like, you know, how, how do you do that while also feeling like you are being present enough for your child and there? Like, you know, what's your schedule look like? 
my schedule is definitely like a lack thereof to say the least because I've been feeding on demand basically since the day he was born mm-hmm. which is I find easier in some ways um I'm a very scheduled and like regimented person but with Ezra I have become just so lax and go with the flow I just never have him I've never really like trained or had him on a schedule for anything besides like sleep training for the nighttime. So when it comes to something for myself, what I found is best is in the morning when uh, his bestie, when his nanny comes and he goes down for his first nap and I have about an hour and a half until his next feeding, I get the beep out of my apartment and I leave and I live in Hoboken, which is like just outside of Manhattan and it's a city, like no one has houses here. Um, it's like apartments and brownstones. So it's a small space and I get out and I walk and I like either go to the grocery store to get the ingredients I need or I just like, I just get out. Even if I have nowhere to go until his next feeding, I walk, I call a friend, I call my mom and I just focus on myself for that hour and it's liberating. And you know, sometimes it's pouring in the morning, so I'm not able to do it. But the second it stops raining, I just get out and get air and that like morning walk is my everything. It's my favorite. So I, I've been telling a lot of people about my back issues. I've been lamenting on the podcast. Uh, my, you know, and I hate I hate talking about it all the time. Uh, you know, like I sound like the complainer of my back issue with, you know, like an old lady. I was saying last week on the podcast, like, I just feel like an old lady, mostly because I am. However, you know, as I'm trying to come out of that season, no matter how hard it seems, it's it's really easy to get stuck in. Well, it's just easier to sit here and get knock a few things out. Yeah. And while that is a great part of my personality and probably yours, too, like we're very productive people and we can get things done. It You have to fight your what you are more prone to do. And you have to kind of do the opposite, which is in in my case, it's you know, do the hard thing, get everybody in the stroller and let's try to get outside and get some sunshine. And I will tell you that that has made a huge difference for me too in these last few weeks is just being able to, again, wear my AirPods. My son falls asleep. My toddler loves being in the stroller, which I thank God for. She loves looking at flowers and bees and the moon and, you know, she'll, she'll point everything out. And that's almost been a complete mental shift for me. So it's, it, you know, the sunshine, man, vitamin D is huge. And I think that even if it's just that little thing of taking an hour, it sounds like that's what almost fuels the rest of your day. It really does. It really paints the picture for like, for me to just feel like, okay, I did something. And, you know, hopefully when Ezra goes down around seven. 715 that's also when I like wrap up things with work for the last like hour hour and a half stretch that I have um and it's nice to just have those like moments of silence yeah, when yeah. he's is sleeping <laughs> you're doing it you're doing it mama that's that's a huge um win that's a huge win to I think we all have our breaking points at some point and then we figure out a new way to exist and it's so nice that you've you've kind of worked through that already and you are like I said 6 months is a nice like oh it's a it's a period where things get a lot more fun so it is and he laughs and he smiles I'm like finally this yes. is recording you're not just screaming at me all day cuz he was <laughs> pretty bad colic so he screamed for more than four hours a day for a few months and that definitely adds up I'm like why do you hate everyone and everything's that badly like it's unnecessary to cry man like your life's not too bad (laughs) um so it's nice that that's uh that's over (laughs) yeah 
Well, well, we'll talk about your book in a, in a little bit. I want to jump to some of our questions from Instagram because we have some really, really good ones. And I would love to know this as well about you. Talk to me about what got started first. So when you decided, I want to start a blog and I want to start writing recipes or sharing my recipes with people, you know, what what was that process like? Did you decide, well, I'm just going to start my own website and, I'm, and how did you figure out, you know, what were you going to name it? And when did you then make the jump to social media? And then we'll talk a little bit more about social media. Yeah. So I had, I actually started on Instagram. Um, so my, my blog came later. So I, my blog in and of itself is four and a half years old, which is truly mind boggling to me, um, how fast that has gone by. But I started it, it was 20, I just think 24. And I was sitting on my couch with my now husband then fiance. And I just said to him, you know what? I got to get a side hustle. I was working full time um, as the earned media manager at a healthy beverage company in like the, uh, I guess you could say like healthy food and beverage space. And I felt that I was super undervalued and undercompensated for the work that I was doing. Um, And I also was living in Chelsea in Manhattan and, you know, it's not exactly the most affordable place to, to live. And I looked into like walking dogs. I looked into babysitting. And for those that know me closely know I'm not really a dog person. And I've always wanted children, but I never really crave hanging out with with babies, which is a entirely different topic. But I was like, you know what? Let me make overnight oats, one of my favorite breakfasts to enjoy. And I'm going to deliver it to people all over the city and like like just give them overnight oats. And then I'll like, by the time bre- their breakfast is served, I'll be home and can do my other job and had this grand plan in my head. And Jordan looked at Jordan, my husband looked at me and said, Rach, like you need a commercial kitchen to do that. You cannot make oatmeal in our apartment. That's 450 square feet and deliver to people all over the city. Why don't you post your recipes somewhere? And if people are interested in overnight oats, then like we can look into that process. He's a lot more like rational than I am. I'm like, shoot for the stars. Like we'll end up somewhere. It's fine. I started posting on my personal Instagram account, which was called or still is called Rachel Mansfield. And I like to think that it it does cause a little bit of confusion, but it was created when I was a senior in college, I think when Instagram came out and my Gmail email has since high school has been Rachel Mansfield and my middle name is Lauren. So you can look at it like Rach Lauren Mansfield, but also if you say Rach L, it sounds like Rachel. So I just thought I was like witty and there was like two meetings to it. Literally, there has nothing to do with food. So I started posting on there and there was a lot of interest in in overnight oats, which I found shocking because everyone told me I was eating like piles of mush. And eventually I graduated into making recipes with like all different types of oatmeal, like baked oatmeal, oatmeal muffins. And I clearly have always had a love affair for oatmeal. Then it kind of turned into dabbling into like some paleo-ish recipes and using almond flour and all different ingredients. And from there, it spiralized into its own blog. I think a month or two later, I created a website on WordPress, which was one of the most like atrocious looking sites I'd ever seen. But I wanted to have a hub to host everything. I just, I ran with it, which has been awesome. And then 
That was in February. And then in that December, I believe, I was fired from my job, uh, which forced me to go out on my own. They felt that the brand that I was growing, and I say brand in quotes because I didn't see it as a brand, um, was going to be a conflict of interest in terms of like working with other partners and anything else. So they had fired me. And that was a couple weeks before the holidays, which is probably the most inopportune time to get fired. Not like getting fired is ever fun or glamorous, but no one's hiring around the holidays. You're just, you're kind of like, you know, you're out of luck at that point. So I was sitting at a pizza place with my parents and Jordan in the city. And I just didn't know what I was going to do. I said, do I find like a full-time job? Do I go? Like, what do I do? And they gave me like the motivation and really believed in me. They said, Rachel, give yourself six months, see if you can really grow this brand. Because at the time I was maybe making like $50 a post. I was not making money to sustain myself, let alone live in Manhattan. And my Instagram, you know, I think that any following is a, as a, is a quality following. Even if you have 500 people following you, like that's, those are still people. And I did not have a following to really monetize. It was less than 10,000 followers. It was just not, I didn't think enough to like really be something of my own. And I, so I gave myself the six months and a few months later, I was already making more money than at my last job, which again, wasn't the hardest thing to accomplish since I felt very undercompensated. And that was three and a half, almost four years ago doing this full time. And I haven't looked back, which has been amazing. Let me clarify, your job fired you because you started your own blog, Rachel Mansfield, and they thought it would be a, a conflict of interest? Yeah, I worked with um, like a seltzer company reached out to me and this was like a not they didn't sell seltzer to say the least. And they told me it was like a breach of contract. And I it was, you know, I think they just wanted me out in some way and used it as a way to kind of push me out. But um, I mean, I loved what I did. I had such a passion for it. That's why I stayed despite like, you know, not being obsessed with every aspect of it. But um, yeah, they told me they felt it was going to like cause controversy and that I had to um, had to go. Initially, how did you feel like getting fired? Was that, oh, this is exciting. Now I can start my own thing. Or were you more like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I've got to find another job. I mean, I know you said that you were going to take another six months. But did you really see what you were doing as something that could be sustainable and sustain you in Manhattan? No, a million and one percent. No, absolutely not. I was like, haha, okay, guys, like, this is a joke. Uh, but I'll give it a whirl. And still to this day, I say it in my parents and Jordan, how did you like believe in me to do this? I didn't believe in myself. I was at the time comparing myself to a lot of like larger food blogs, you know, like skinny taste and these blogs that have been around for forever. And I just, I'm not going to be like, and I still am nowhere near in my opinion, like as like amazing and like successful as a lot of the people I still look up to, but I'm like, I'm never going to be able to sustain this as a living like other people do. And I didn't really believe in myself. I believed in my brand and what I was doing. And I have such a passion for creating recipes that people love and you know, that I'm craving and to satisfy those cravings. But I didn't think it was sustainable, let alone to build a brand and monetize. It's, it's unreal to me. 
I want to get into this nitty gritty here, Rachel, because it seems a little (laughs) beyond for you in three and a half months to start making an income from making only $50 a post. What were some of the things? And because I know that for a lot of people, entrepreneurs, whether that's people who are NTPs or fitness coaches or people who are, you know, getting into any sort of business side hustle that they want to do. Instagram's hard and it's a very, very crowded market. And so a lot of people have a hard time figuring out their niche, which we'll get to in a second. But what, you know, what were some of the things that you decided to do to help grow your Instagram following? Maybe some of the strategies. Instagram is a beast. It is a complete and utter beast. I was actually talking about that this morning with a friend who's also, you know, it it has been able to monetize her Instagram. And to be completely honest, Instagram is different almost four years ago than it is today. You know, the algorithm was different. It wasn't saturated like it was, you know, there was very niche blogs and accounts. There was, you know, paleo, there were vegan, there was like, counting macros like there was very very niche types of people of, of bloggers to follow and I didn't fall under any of those categories I just felt like I still fall under a labelist lifestyle I eat what I'm craving it's you know I cook all organic foods I really strive to eat like I hate the term healthy but it's just the best way to describe it as possible I like eating real food I like knowing where the ingredients are sourced from like I love cooking with almond flour and eggs and But at the same time, I also love using flax egg and I have transitioned a few years ago now from not eating meat to eating meat. And I also just felt like there was no one in the space doing that. There was no one that was dabbling in all lifestyles and ways of eating and living in terms of recipe development. So I think creating recipes that still fall under like the paleo category, but then ones that fall under vegan or ones that fall under whatever it may be, I think that attracted an audience because it's not intimidating to cook like that. It's, you know, it's, I felt it was a lot more approachable because I would like, I mean, I love kind of cooking in all different aspects, but I like to switch things up and keep things interesting. So what, let's talk about, um, you've, figuring out your niche. How did, was that a struggle for you? Because I feel like that's probably the number one concern. And the number one question that I get from people is, do I niche down or do I stay broad? You've had a lot of success staying broad and, you know, having your, even your tagline is just the good stuff, right? So good could mean a lot of different things. What do you think has been can what how, what can you attribute to you having success staying broad and not niching down? Because everybody, you know that tagline, the riches is in the niches. You know, everybody yeah. talks about how you need to niche down if you want to make money because being broad isn't, you know, what you, you shouldn't do that. And I know that I struggled with that too because I wanted to do health and fitness and I wanted to talk about mindset and I wanted to talk about skincare and most people would have said, you're not going to be successful, right? You can't do that. You can't have a successful brand and talk about four different things. So how did, what do you attribute to maybe you being successful and still having a very broad approach to things? You know, at first I definitely focused mostly on food. Um, and still to this day, that's for lack of a better, it's, it's my bread and butter, like posting recipes. But 
now I'm able to dabble in more things like motherhood and I struggled getting pregnant. So I spoke a lot about infertility um, on my blog and Instagram. And I talk about like, still talk about like skincare and Ezra and things for him. And I dabble in a little bit of everything, but I think that having a niche of healthier recipes made with just the good stuff is definitely attracted people. And then once they're invested in that part of my brand, they feel, I think that they're invested in me and my life, which I still don't understand because I have like the least exciting life of anyone I know. And then they're interested in all aspects. But yeah, I mean, I never really thought about that, how the way I approach food is definitely very broad. And I think, but I, that is I think that was key in growing my brand because there's more people than not that don't follow a specific lifestyle or diet. And I think people really enjoy that part of what I post, how it's not like just one thing. It's, it's a variety of things. Do you find that there's any specific type of your content that does better than the rest or is it, does it all equally do well? And do you in particular, cause I have gotten a few questions about, you know, when you do have this broad focus how do you, you know, because words like wellness and health and nutrition can mean so many different things, how do you display to people in your posts what it is that you are? And then also, do you have a set rotation of things that you choose to do? Is it something like, oh, today I'll post a recipe and tomorrow I'll post something about Ezra? Or do you do it and and kind of stay a little bit more flexible and and what it is that you feel like doing that day? So I'm super flexible. Sometimes brands will have specific days that I have to post or they would like for me to post. But I try and keep things as lax as possible. You know, if I see that my feed is looking very saturated with food or the color brown and orange because I love peanut butter and all like (laughs) sweets, um, I try and spice things up and post like whatever I'm having that day that might have avocado or egg or yogurt to give it some color. And if it's too much food, you know, I'll try and find or take a picture of Ezra or myself or whatever it may be to add a splash of life to the feed that's not just like edible. Um, I think in terms of content that performs the best, sweets and desserts definitely do. Banana breads and cookies and brownies and pancakes and waffles, like all of those types of recipes really resonate well. A lot of my readers lately, especially, I've been asking for more savory things and recipes they can make uh, for lunch and dinner to bring to work, which has been fun to dabble with, too. So I'm always asking my community what they want more of and what they're craving because that's super important to me. And every other recipe pretty much is based off of what I'm craving and, and what I feel like making. How is it that you ask your community to give you feedback? Is it like an email that you do? Do you have, do you, have you grown your email list or is this something that you do on Instagram? Instagram. I ask on Instagram stories. I love the um, like recommendations feature on stories. It's been awesome for things like this. And also just like over the weekend, I posted that Ezra, he's like king of FOMO, doesn't like to nap. And I had asked moms if they had any recommendations for tips to, to help their help babies learn to nap. Um, so I use that feature a lot and it also creates like a good community and the, I not the best with direct messages on Instagram in terms of responding and opening all of them just because 
it's a lot. And in my opinion, direct messaging and is almost like a full-time job in and of itself. So it allows me to have another touch point with my readers, which I love. I also do want to touch on the fact that you do a lot of desserts with, you know, almond flour and all those things that are probably more paleo friendly. Way back in the day, I don't know if you remember a lot of this because you were just starting your blog too, just like I was. Back then, so like four and a half, five years ago, people really poo-pooed desserts (laughs) Um, when following quote unquote paleo because desserts aren't paleo like technically you can't find them out in nature and so combining all these things and adding (laughs) honey and all that kind of stuff is how could that be paleo and so it was a really interesting time because if you came out with a cookbook and you included desserts in it you were sort of like I don't know looked down upon right like you're not really paleo or you're not you know like this that's not how it's supposed to be however um, those recipes do really, really well. So it was always a back and forth of like, do I post dessert recipes and get chastised for it? Or do I post dessert recipes and people end up loving it? You know, so it was like you could put something out there and then some people would love it. Some people would hate it. Right. Which is called being an entrepreneur. It's called that's called having a blog. And I love that you are sort of like, this, this is what people love because they have a hard time. Like when you're following, let's say, a paleo protocol or you're doing some sort of elimination diet where you're, you are taking out wheat and other things, I am team totally shift that. So if you're typically having, you know, muffins in the morning or something, create muffins that are part of that lifestyle that you're trying to follow apart that fit into that elimination diet so that you can continue to have some sort of normalcy and that will improve the way like the the, your ability to be able to maintain that as opposed to being like well uh there was no such thing as muffins in when they were paleo so or in the paleothic era so uh yeah you shouldn't have muffins like that makes no sense to me you know where we should be allowed to enjoy food and not feel guilt or shame regardless of what we eat However, it's really hard when you're trying to, for the first time, eliminate things like gluten and eggs and dairy and things that you might be sensitive to. And so having these recipes where there are substitutions and they taste really good can be really valuable for people. And heck, people really like them. So why not post more of that, you know? Um, So I love that about that. You're like, well, this is what I do because I do a lot of this because people like it. Like you're listening to your audience. And listening to the people who follow you versus saying, well, am I posting too many sweets? Uh, you know, and, and I'm sure you have haters that say that or I'm sure that you have haters that say, well, this that that ingredients are not actually healthy. Right. Because when you say you have some sort of health promoting or wellness blog, of course, everybody's going to come out and judge you for that. <laughs> so I would love to know, how do you deal with starting a blog, starting a business, starting a following or building a following of quality people who are attracted to you and love what you're doing? And how do you let go of the haters who may be judgmental and, and in fact, do sometimes get, they sometimes get to us, right? They sometimes say, oh, am I doing, they make us say, oh, am I doing the right thing? Am I, should I, should I I take this recipe down? Should I do more of this other kind of recipe? How, how do you work through those, all the opinions? You just said so many good points. My wheels were like blowing up in my head. Um, Well, first of all, I just want to respond or react to something that you had said earlier about like the kind of the rules within each label. I'm a couple of years ago, my husband did Whole30 and I wanted to 
blow my brains out when he was doing Whole30 because AK, I was doing Whole30 in the terms of prep. And I remember sharing on Instagram that he was doing this and I was making him like chia pudding and pancakes that had like were made with banana and egg. And people were like, those aren't Whole30. Like, like the ingredients are, but the concept of eating a pancake isn't Whole30. And I'm not hating on Whole30, but like that's the definition of why I don't follow any particular rules or lifestyle because if you can eat a banana and you can eat eggs on whole and uh, in life on whole 30 and in life like why can't you combine them and call it a pancake like <laughs> life is too short to like not eat something and i cannot make him egg muffins every morning for breakfast and smoothies or i'm sorry no smoothies you couldn't even have so i was going crazy doing that and that's kind of just Sorry, that really resonated with me when yeah, you guys were saying that. No, that's that's a perfect explanation. Is like, if you can have banana and eggs, why can we not put them together and make a pancake? It's just about, have, you know, sustainability, you know, and, and we want people to be healthy and to feel good and not feel like they have to restrict themselves restrict themselves for nonsense because that's not going to get that's not going to get us anywhere right we want people to figure out what's going to work for them and and pursue something that's going to be sustainable this podcast is supported by thrive market a membership community that uses the power of direct buying to deliver the world's best healthy food and natural products to members at wholesale prices Go to thrivemarket.com slash wellfedwomen to sign up and get 25% off your first order. When you sign up for a membership, you're also sponsoring a low-income family in need with a membership. Thrive Market is like Whole Foods, Amazon Prime, and Costco combined. You can shop for thousands of health food and natural products that are 10 to 50% below retail prices and have them delivered to your door fast and totally free with a low minimum purchase. You'll find just about everything you can find at natural grocery stores on Thrive Market, plus more. And all of the food products are categorized by diet and lifestyle, making it easy to find allergy-friendly foods and snacks for your family. Get the highest quality products you love, minus the retail markup, and help American families thrive. To sign up and get 25% off your first order, go to thrivemarket.com slash wellfedwomen. And have you ever made a mistake of feeding in too much of the hate in, into the haters too much and changed your your, you know, whatever blog or brand um, or maybe a recipe or, or your direction and or maybe you haven't. And how do you deal with, you know, the back and forth of that? So I have to say I've definitely been very lucky in terms of haters or negative comments. I really don't receive many. There are some feisty people that will like write messages at times, but I would say that happens maybe once every few weeks. I've gotten so lucky with that. And I, my heart breaks for anyone who puts themselves out there and has to deal with like negative comments and hate from anyone because that's horrible. But majority of my negative comments and hate are definitely targeted towards my body of anything. Cause people always say like, oh, like you're too skinny. Like, how are you actually eating that? And I'm like, why are you questioning what I'm eating? Like, I'm not questioning what you're eating. Like that's to me, it's very insulting to say the least. And body image and co comments on anyone's body is something that I'm like so passionate about because I don't think that like any comments on people's bodies should be made. Like for, for example, for me personally, I when I gave birth to Ezra, I had my body in and of itself had a 
crazy response to either like labor, which I had a C-section or like the initial breastfeeding, um, like starting that journey. And I like got a lot of comments about my body and how I looked. And, you know, obviously there's two ends to that spectrum. There's those who, when you put weight on, you don't feel your best. And there are like, I didn't feel my best either. And I had was recovering from a C-section. My son was in the NICU. I'm breastfeeding. I'm very overwhelmed. And then I'm getting comments and people being like, I don't understand how you're so skinny. Like what I, and I hate that word. Like that word makes me cringe. So I think in terms of haters, it's definitely been the most around like how I looked or anything like appearance wise, which is definitely why I'm not a fashion blogger. Besides the fact that I don't think I have very good style for me personally, how I address those is I'm fortunate enough to have the confidence and really believe in myself and know that like people who make comments like that clearly are insecure about something, whatever it is going on in their life. And I really just am able to brush it off my shoulders. And I was talking to a friend last week who she gets, um, she has a similar frame to I do and she was getting a lot of comments and she was like, Rachel, I don't understand. How do you not let this bother you? And just, you know what, as long as I love my body and like, I appreciate it for more than anything for what it's, you know, given my husband and I and our son and there's no reason to hate on it or question it or anything like yeah. that kind of shut off any haters and just doesn't let, doesn't affect me. I hit block on my account because even if it's just one message that's rude, I literally just block them because why are you following me? If you want to make mean comments, like I don't want a negative community on here at all. That block button is really powerful. It's really nice. <laughs> Favorite. <laughs> like, okay, goodbye. Like, that's fine. Cool. Talk to you later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've noticed a trend more of women speaking up more and either commenting or just not and just blocking. There's no wrong way to deal with it, right? I suppose. I mean, sometimes people are just trolls and they want to hate but sometimes people are just really out like they really don't like you and they they want you to know it for some reason. Like they want to comment in multiple places and respond to your stories and make sure that you know that they don't really like you. And I don't in those situations, it's like I'm not right for you. So, OK, bye. You know, goodbye. Like this is fine. We do not have to agree. And I think that it's a really in, we're in an interesting time where. I'm not sure everybody feels like it's it's like it's okay to disagree. We're we it's okay to have differences of opinions and still coexist or you don't have to follow me. You know what I mean? I'm not for everyone. And so Brene Brown said something really amazing on Netflix. She had a special where she did a big talk and I'm going to butcher it because I had just had my son and I was watching it passively again. But it was. You know, so few people decide to actually get into the ring. You know, they are there. They are in in front of and, uh, you know, they are in front of tons of people. So imagine like a huge auditorium. Don't let yourself be influenced or somehow pushed down by the people in the cheap seats who have chosen not to get in the ring and have no experience of what it's like to actually be in the ring. So if you're in the ring, don't let the people in the cheap seats dictate how you feel about yourself or your your actual performance in the ring. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, and when she said that, I was like, oh, I've been, I let people in the cheap seats get like ruin my day. Why do I even care what they say? Like they, they have no desire to even get into the ring and they're not in the ring, you know? They don't know what it's like. So 
Anyway, I thought that Brene Brown, of course, plug for her, but she's, you know, she has that little thing on Netflix and I, um, I would link to it in the show notes, but I can't. So just go find it on Netflix. <laughs> um, okay. So I can't believe we're already running out of time. I feel like we just started talking. Let's get into some of the nitty gritty. How did you grow your audience, specifically an audience that actually cares what you were talking about? So talk to me about building a quality audience. I did talk about this before. Was it in the hashtags? Is it just putting out quality photos? How do you feel like you got from under 10,000 followers to over 300,000 followers. I mean, what were what what do you attribute to some of that growth? And again, Instagram was at a different was in a different place and I have to be totally honest about that. I'd say to people all the time growing an Instagram today is so different than where it was a few years ago. So the space isn't as wasn't as saturated. There wasn't everyone posting the same thing constantly. There was a lot more room for innovation and creativity compared to, to now, I think for me personally at the time and still to this day, the food that I make looks approachable. I don't do heavy food styling. Like I don't make these beautiful boards of foods that don't look like something you can make at home. And that really resonates with people because if I'm just throwing in a bunch of ingredients that I have on hand into my bowl and having breakfast, you know, it shows that you can do that too. And it's easy to get creative without making this elaborate, whatever it may be. Um, so I think that really resonates well with people. And I also, at the time use hashtags to, I really don't much now. I don't think that they really help. I don't quote me on that. Maybe they do help some people. So again, I don't know. The term real has been like murdered and murdered again over and over and over again. But I do like stay very real with my community and I share the good, the bad and the ugly. And that really creates that bond and that resonates well with my readers because they don't see that it's just all heart stars and rainbows all the time in my life. Like, yeah, my food that I'm eating is like usually as like good as I can make it as it can be. And that's something that I love, but I also like struggle in various, various ways, like with infertility and when I was fired. And so just sharing those things has been awesome. I remember, I think the first thing I ever shared that wasn't exactly like a recipe was actually how I did get fired from my job. And that really exploded. And that led me into sharing more like, not even really lifestyle, but I guess more like life things. And then I, when I started eating meat again, I shared that story and that story still to this day, I get so many messages and emails about how that's inspiring people to learn to like listen to their bodies and start like not deprive themselves. And just cause you're eating one way one day doesn't mean you need to eat that way the next day. So I think just staying very like authentic and being yourself because again, there's a lot of people doing the same thing on Instagram, but no one can be, be you like you're, you are you. So staying true to who you are really helps um, in terms of growing a community. You know, and I will, this is a compliment. Your feed doesn't look like cookie cutter, overly, um, what, oh, filtered. So, you know, when, how everybody now is doing like these filtered feeds that are perfectly yeah. coordinated and they have such a rotation. What I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that you share what you feel is on your heart. You remain authentic and you do share. 
I'm not, I mean, I don't want to say basic. You share really great photos of food, but it's not professional food photography that has been edited to the max, right? It's, it's what you probably took while you were eating it. You know, like I, I'm about to grab on this, like, let me take a photo and it looks really beautiful and scrumptious. I really think we're at an interesting time where people are really sick of this overly edited lifestyle that people are portraying and they're posting things that look perfect and they're trying to combine it with a very like a semi fake authentic post right and because they think that that'll get them likes but people can see through that or they're starting to is what I'm kind of feeling I'm feeling the tide shift and I love that you haven't really gotten caught up in any of that you you just kind of share what's on your heart and you share photos of yourself yeah like a, a photo like a selfie or whatever but you also are sharing very real pictures of your life and food and it's it doesn't feel it doesn't feel fake or overly filtered so I do that's kind of what I I hear you saying if if I'm correct yes exactly no you hit the nail on the head that's exactly what I want people to see when they go to my account I want them to know you can make this this doesn't need to be an overly curated anything like I want it to be like what it is and and that's it like obviously I love playing with food and styling it for some things but to have an entire feed for that just isn't what what I want my brand to be how do you manage your work personal and family time a lot of people be like how do you balance it all and my response is always I don't believe in the term balance I just it doesn't exist some days you're going to feel really defeated some days you're going to feel great and that's just a part of, of life. There's days where I definitely focus way too much on work and not enough on Ezra. There's days I focus too much on Ezra and not enough on work. There's, it, there's no such thing as like the po- perfect potion to that. For me, I like to stay off of social media like once a week. I don't have, again, I'm not a big person with like rules and labels and this and that. I don't like to say every Saturday I don't check Instagram because there's some Saturdays I want to and I don't really have much going on. But I really try and just not post like at least once a week to help alleviate any type of not stress because it's not stressful, but like then I don't have as many comments to respond to and I can just kind of live in the moment and it helps just kind of like lighten the load for the day. I also try to, like, I don't go on my phone when I'm with people, when I'm out to dinner, if I want to take a picture or, I want, or wherever I may be, I take the picture or the video and then I post it at a later time when usually not exactly in that moment. And that's one for living in the moment and B, it's, or two, that's like for safety reasons. Like sometimes if I'm somewhere, like I don't want to like post where I am and maybe that's just like me being neurotic and, and a mom, but I like to kind of have some type of privacy and if no one needs to know where I am at all times, like that's just creepy. So I really try and like when I have content and videos and Instagram stories, it's usually posted a couple hours later and that allows me to eat my food when it's hot or warm and really just like feel more safe. I want to finish up by talking about your cookbook (laughs) coming out. What, how, what was the process of that? Because now you, you started an Instagram, you started a blog, you're doing what you love, you are talking about food, you're creating these amazing recipes. Did you always know you wanted to do a cookbook? And how, how did that 
cookbook idea come about? Were you approached or did you decide to approach a publisher? Give us the inside scoop. Yeah. So I had a very like unconventional approach to writing a book. There really, to be honest, wasn't much of an approach. And I don't mean that in like an I'm lazy way. I just, I said, again, said to my husband, I kind of want to write a book. I, you know, I want to do something not online, not digital, not something I need to like post about or just a fun non-digital project of sorts to invest some time into. And I called a friend who had written a book before and I also like to preface by saying that I did not even want to write a cookbook. I wanted it to be a book about like getting fired and starting a brand and all of that fun stuff. And I called a friend who had a book agent and she kindly made an introduction to me, um, to her agent. That idea quickly um, died of having a more like not uh, more, I guess, like lifestyle approach to a book. And so she signed me on as a client. And from there, I wrote the proposal for the book. And I also, I'm not a big book person. I sound like a hypocrite, but I don't really read much. I'm a huge podcast and like audio junkie, but Mm -hmm. I'm not one who like opens a book and like gets excited. I'm more just like, okay, like show me pictures. Like, 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 let's get to the point. So I worked on a proposal and I was having so much fun with it. I'm like, wow, you know, it really could be awesome to create a cookbook that has all the recipes that I love, like new ones that aren't on the blog and ones like classic ones like banana bread that I know that'll readers love, but really tweaking those recipes and making sure they're as perfect as possible. So for a couple of months, I worked on the proposal, sent it to my agent. We like worked back and forth to perfect it a bit. Then she submitted the proposal to like various publishers and to peak interest. And I was, we solidified a handful of meetings uh, in the city in Manhattan. And we went out, we dedicated two full days, took meetings with a few publishers and I met with them. Then from there, I had two offers after my first day. And yeah, so it was a, it was a fast, very, very, very fast process, which I'm super fortunate about. Um, but without building my brand on Instagram, I don't think that it, that would have been as like feasible because you know from a publisher standpoint they look at you and they want to be like okay like are you how are you going to make us money like mm-hmm. you want to write a book that's great but how are you going to sell that book so I think that when they see the brand that I built they're like okay cool so this book's going to get in front of x amount of people and like that's a great way to boost sales having a brand of my own that had a solid audience and community definitely like helped me a lot in terms of getting this deal yeah, that's super important. And it's, um, you know, if that's your end goal, if, you're, if your end goal is like, I want to write a fitness book or I want to write a cookbook, you have to be able to have, you got to build that credibility first with an audience who actually likes your recipes and likes what you have to say. You know, you can't expect to just put a book out there. Unfortunately, it's that's not how it works. <laughs> Um, but you know, you, you have to have that sort of proof for the publisher. And and it, you definitely have built that over the course of many, many years. And, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited for you. I'm excited to have the cook or to see the cookbook. And the name, Just the Good Stuff, is so super catchy and wonderful. It's a marketing, it's marketing gold, in my opinion. I love it. Thank you so much. I'll have to <laughs> chat with you more about your book. And yeah, yeah. any like tips and tricks you have, because I'm, you're like an expert at this point, And I'm over <laughs> Noob. I'm like, where's Barnes and Noble even located? Like, where's 
far <laughs> from it. No, yeah, no. Luckily, you know, and I do think it's a lot of networking and, you know, growing your business. And it's, we haven't touched on this, but growing your business, growing a blog is a lot of networking as well. It's a, it's a lot of learning from other people, learning from other people who are doing it and offering your help to other people. And in return, you know, them being able to help you. Hey, here's my agent. I want to introduce you to him. That's how we found our agent, you know, and I will be honest, I met the woman who introduced us at a Paleo FX concert, a concert, a conference. Yeah, before before I really even had a name, right? I, I had just started and I just started a podcast, but I had I I got to meet some people, you know, other other people in the industry. And that was pretty cool. And so just being there and being able to not I mean, I I think one of the things that I talk about a lot, too, is never please don't ever go out and ask people for something. Don't don't come to me and say, can you do this for me? Right. Um, That's not networking. (laughs) That's not networking. It's it's being providing value, whether that's to other people or to your community and people resonating with that and saying, oh, she does have something to say that's interesting and I want to learn from that. And when you're in the same spaces as people and you support them, say somebody puts on a conference and you attend it or you attend somebody's talk or you attend, you know, something that somebody's put a lot of effort into there, you're going to catch their attention. And so it's not being intentional with, oh, I'm going to go to this person's thing because I, I really want something from her. Right. It's just having a genuine relationship with people and building, you know, maybe even a friendship and then taking that to the next level and learning from them. You know, I, I, that's honestly been some of the biggest points for me. I would say when things shifted ever so slightly was when I would create bonds and relationships with people. And then I was able to learn from them or be introduced to somebody else because of them, like my agent. So yeah, it's, it's, um, there's a lot of different facets that, that work into, Doing your side hustle and turning it into a main hustle, you know, and it takes a lot of time and you've put that time in, Rachel. I mean, you've put years and years and years into this. And so I'm thankful that you got fired. I'm sure you are, too. I know that was terrifying. And I think that's a big question a lot of people have is like, when do I know when to quit? And sometimes you just... I never would have known, to be honest. Yeah. I would still be working there. Yep, you just got you got you got kicked out the door, you know, and that and you got pushed into this and that was a, a beautiful blessing. So it's great to be able to take some of these negatives too and turn them into positives and fuel your your fire from that too. So yay. So talk to us about where we can find you. I want you to make sure you let us know your the correct name for your website and your Instagram. <laughs> Well, of course. Thank you. Yeah. Um it's very easy and straightforward because I'm Rachel L. Mansfield on my blog and on Instagram. So it's Rachel without the E Mansfield. And that's where you can find me for everything. And the first time I'm dabbling with a different name is for my book, just the good stuff, which comes out in spring 2020, which apparently means February 2020. And like, guys, it's not spring, that's winter, but in the publishing world, I guess that's spring. So I think it's February 20. February 22nd. They just changed it. It was February 11th. So it's the, it's a week or two later, um, in February. So I hope 
everyone thinks that uh, the recipes are as delicious as I do. And I can't wait to already make them all over again for the fifth time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you've already made them like 8 million times. That's but now you have like, instead of like handing down recipe cards to your to your son, you get to hand him a book and say, here's some of my favorite recipes to pass on for generations. No, it's so true. A very good point. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Rachel, for being here. For more from her, go to rachellmansfield.com. For more from me, go to coconutsandkettlebells.com. You can buy Coconuts and Kettlebells, our book, at coconutsandkettlebells.com slash book. It's also available on Amazon. We will talk to you next week. 